Good morning, Crosspoint. The passage today is Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> you know, I know, I know it, uh, we're a little few this morning, but can we do a little better than that? Good morning, everyone. There we go. There we go. If you're online and you're at home, you're missed. We miss you. Uh, when you're ready to come back, we're ready for you to come back. And um, excited that God allows us to gather here together. You know, it was in the middle of summer where I really re- realized that we would come to a point of rebuilding, in a way, uh, cross point. That uh, yes, we are a church that, you know, back in the earlier this year, uh, we would, for the most part, fill up this fitnasium. And uh, after the coronavirus, uh, it certainly has a scattered together. Now, w- one of the things that I've also asked God for his help for is God, use this as an opportunity for us to grow closer to you. Use this as an opportunity for us to, to actually reach more people. And, you know, here's the reality of what we're in today is that uh, God is using this for those who are present and those who are online. And maybe you're online here today and you're a member of our church. Maybe you're online here today and you're just catching it through someone sharing it on their page. And I'm glad you're here. I believe God has a word for you in our time together. And so would you join me in praying uh, that God would work in his word together uh, in us today. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much that you are about the good business of restoring joy. Lord, I'm reminded in your, your word where you say in the Old Testament that you'll restore what the locusts have taken. And God, we image these swarms of things that are just doing damage. But Lord, you give us the imagery that all of those things will be brought back in fullness. So Lord, we submit, God, the things that needing in our lives to be restored. We ask that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Psalm 126 this morning. Uh, There's a commentator, his name is James Lindbergh. He says, Psalm 126 comes from a people who are living between the times. Between a good time remembered and another good time hoped for. That's the vantage point that we have as we read this psalm today. Is There's a recollection of goodness remembered and then there's a cry out with hope for good times to return. There's kind of a collective understanding that we can feel that today in the world that we live in is that 
we're kind of all in that place. The present day that we're living in right now is between a good time remembered and good times hoped for. A friend of mine is uh, the uh, overseas port operations for Disney Cruise Lines at Port Canaveral. And he shared that, you know, these cruise lines used to be absolutely filled. When the ships left the port, they were filled with thousands upon thousands of people, all happy and spending lots of money and employing lots of people. And now as he goes to the empty ports and he sees the ships with no one in them, he says, it makes me sad. It makes me sad because I know that the joy is not in those ships that used to be there. I know that many of my friends who are employed no longer have jobs. He says, but right now I'm working for the magic to return for better days ahead. And I pray for something better. The psalmist is essentially saying, Lord, do it again. Do it again, O Lord. Today, if we take a step back and we assess our lives, the wins and losses, it's hard not to see the loss column adding up sometimes. And this, not is just, this is not just related to the pandemic. This is life in general. We all have gone through loss in life. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe your parents have gotten a divorce and that's been hard to get over. I met a man who his parents divorced well into his life, but he still feels the pain of that. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've lost a job that you loved or a career. Maybe you've lost relationship and today you find your, yourself estranged from loved ones, family, friends, and others. If in the present today you find yourself in deep disappointment, know that you can never get the past back, but that God uses it for a greater purpose. The big idea for our time together is that the Lord restores authentic joy to those who trust Him. The Lord restores authentic joy to those who trust trust him. This past year, I had one of those memories come up on my Facebook feed. You know, they have the memories that, that come back from time to time. And, and sometimes those memories make me smile. Sometimes they make me laugh. And sometimes they made me cry. This one did all three of those things. Uh, so uh, there's a picture here of my grandparents. And uh, this was taken back in October of 2011. Uh, my grandma Lois and grandpa Cecil came up. They drove up from uh, West Palm Beach to Orlando to visit us. They stayed a few nights with us. And that picture is out on uh, a uh, kind of a, a lakeside pavilion. And uh, my grandparents are my heritage. And this is a picture of my heritage holding my inheritance. And it's so beautiful in so many ways. And as I look back on that picture, there's this nostalgia that fills my heart. And at the same time, I, I remember that those times were hard. Now, it wasn't necessarily those times. It was the time before those times. Because if you don't know Carrie and I's story, you, you might know that we struggled with what the doctor said was unexplained infertility. 
You might also know that we had many tear-filled nights of prayer. That, that having kids seemed so distant for us at some point. And here is a picture of not just, I had two at one time, Camden and Adeline, they came both at once. Lily came two years later, and I say she was born with a chip on her shoulder because she wasn't a triplet. Sorry, Lily. Um, and, 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 and this picture is a, a wonderful reminder of, of God restoring joy. And it's also, it's also a reminder of my present without some of that joy in my life. My grandfather died in January last year. My dad died in February, almost just, just less than a year before him. The last two years have been really hard. Really hard. And, 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 and this picture is a picture that that we all face in life. You've all got those pictures. You've all got those snapshots. You all have those moments in life that you look back on and you say, I just want to go back. I just want to go back to that time. Even if you look back at that time and you're like, it was an absolute mess, if you're honest with yourself. Yes. But you look back and you, you with fondness, remember it. And then today, you pray for better days ahead. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord restores authentic joy for those who trust him. So we've got three points for our sermon today. The first point is that joy is restored through the expectation of sorrow. Joy is restored through the expectation of sorrow. Kind of seems like that doesn't really go well together. It's like Taco Bell and Long John Silver's being in the same building, right? Two should not be going together. You're going to fry fish and chalupas in the same oil? That is not a good idea. But here we know that joy and sorrow are actually almost like two sides of the same coin. When you have joy, it often comes through sorrow. You know that sometimes sorrow precedes joy. And there are also times where joy sometimes precedes sorrow. But here you have this expectation of sorrow. Read with me the first three verses. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. This is really a wonderful passage of recollection, remembering God's faithfulness in the past. In fact, we see this throughout scriptures. It's a refrain where even in the Psalms, they're recalling God's past faithfulness in their present trouble. In their present trouble. The psalmist writes this with the expectation of sorrow in his life at the moment. If you look at the history of Israel, it, it's, it doesn't take really long to find out that there are several events that this could have been. But the NIV actually gives us a, a little bit more wording in this. It says, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion. So if you know the story of Israel, you know that at one point they were in captivity under 
foreign occupation, the, the occupation of Babylon. And what would happen with these occupations is that Babylon would go into Israel and some would stay and many would go. And they would be held in captivity. And that was in order to change the culture of those whom they captured. And then they would repopulate the city with the people again, but they would do so not with their, the, 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 the same people that they brought out, although they were the same people, but they would seek to change them. They would seek to bring them into their own culture, their own way of life, their own rule and reign, and they would send back not Jews, but Babylonians. Well, the Israelites were in captivity for 70 years. It wasn't just the Babylonians that were holding the Israelites in captivity. It was the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. And we know that the story goes, if you know Jeremiah 29, this is where the famous verse, I know the promise I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now that prophecy came in the midst of Jeremiah also saying, you are going to be held in this place of captivity for 70 years. And so it was Jeremiah saying to them, God will restore you, but it's going to be hard. There's an expectation of tears. There's an expectation of sorrow. And that expectation of sorrow was what the Israelites lived through. And you look back at the joy of your life, you know that it came not just with joy, but it also came with weeping. And so it was when the Israelites were under the rule of, of uh, Cyrus, being able to go back into Israel and Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the gates of Jerusalem. And if you read the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the gates of Jerusalem, you know that that was no easy task as well. He was fighting within. He was fighting without. One hand he held a hammer and one hand he held a sword. It was dirty work. It was hard work. And in all of life, there's an expectation of that hardship. Now, the message of joy, though, is one that we have to understand as I said in the big idea, it's not just joy that God restores, but it's authentic joy. Because if we were to find joy in the Lord and joy in the world, there would be two di- very different stories. And I think it's important that we understand the distinction. Because oftentimes what we think is joy isn't really joy. Tim Keller uh, talks about counterfeit joys. Here's a couple counterfeit joys. One is faking fine. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Fouled up, insecure, neurotic. And what's the fourth one? I forget. Anyway, that was was not in my notes. I should have wrote that down. Uh, Faking fine. It's denial. it's, it's, um, It's pretending and performing. It's putting on a mask. I know you're all wearing a mask. It's okay. You could wear masks now until the you know, the coronavirus goes away. But faking fine is really just trying to put on the good face when really deep inside there's hardship. You're lying to others and you're lying to yourself. That's not the joy that God wants to restore, nor is it the joy of avoiding pain. Man, the links that we will go to avoid pain are monumental. And as we go to those links to avoid 
pain in order to escape sorrow, the thing that happens is it just delays the sorrow. It just makes it last longer. And it causes the joy to be taken away from us because of the lengths that we will run from sorrow, realizing that God wants to use that for a good and faithful purpose. It's escape. A friend of mine is a financial advisor, and he was telling me this story of someone who had recently gotten inheritance. And after they got that inheritance, uh, they were incredibly sad at the loss of this family member. But in order to handle the, the sorrow and the grief and the pain related to that, they spent a lot of money on a long trip. They came home and they bought a nice vehicle and a nice home. And before they knew it, all the money was gone and the pain came back like a ton of bricks and they had nothing to show for what they had been given, all because they were just trying to escape the pain. It caused more pain. Another counterfeit joy is circumstantial joy. This is where we place conditions upon our joy. Joy equals fill in the blank. Joy equals money in the bank. Joy equals health. Joy equals this. Joy equals that. You know the fill in the blank for you. What are the things that make you really depressed and make you really sad? And the the immediate thought is, if I just have this, this is going to be better. This is this chasing joy because we don't have the gospel in our hearts that says, hey, listen, God's joy is greater than the joys of this world. And you can even have joy in grief. You can even have joy in sorrow and that God works in a greater and bigger way. In my own life, I face this. Even since becoming a Christian, you know, somehow we think that once we become a Christian, the world's just going to get a lot better and I'm going to be happy all the time. Maybe you've thought that. There's a good chance we've all probably thought that, but there's also a good chance that none of us have ever experienced it. (laughs) Because that's not what Christianity tells us. Christianity tells us that we can expect sorrow, that we can expect even bouts of, of this depression or struggle, or angst. Christianity also tells us that that's because this world is not our home. This is not heaven. We don't belong here. Sometimes we're going to have unfulfilled desires, and we're going to feel this kind of low-level sadness even when we're on vacation. Even when it seems like the world is going well, we're going to say, why do I feel this way? Everything's going so good, but I'm depressed. But somehow, we have to be reminded that God hasn't made us for this place eternally. C.S. Lewis says, if we find in our, ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We're made for another world. That reminder has to be constantly in our hearts and minds when the angst and sorrow and grief fills our lives and we just want to push the escape button. Know that you've been made for another world and know that God is going to use right there where you are at. Okay, the second point is joy is restored through prayerful dependence 
upon God. Joy is restored through prayerful dependence upon God. I don't have the imagery here of what the psalmist might have looked like when he wrote this psalm. I don't have the imagery, but I can imagine that the picture is one on his knees with his face in his hands. And he says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Restore our fortunes. That there is a dependence upon God that we realize in the midst of our sorrow that causes us to grow in greater degree for hope for the future because of that hope in Christ. Sorry for I did the camera differently. I should have, should have cued you guys on that one. Good catch, Eddie. And, you know, these emotions that God allows us to go through are emotions that, that causes us to depend on him. Tim Keller, uh, who I talked about earlier, uh, he says that we have three different, three different philosophies of how we handle emotions. And uh, Tim Keller is really good at describing uh, the way religion and secularism or irreligion work. So uh, he says, religion says, deny your emotions, push them away, get rid of them. Your emotions are not good. They are not to be trusted. Move them out. Secularism or irreligion says, obey your emotions. Your emotions are of utmost and highest value. To deny your emotions is to deny yourself. That's what secularism says. And then the gospel says, bring them to me. That's what God says with your emotions. Bring them to me. And in the case of sorrow, God is saying, bring your tears to me in prayer. If you have these moments in life where you're drawn to tears, and I pray they come. I pray they come. Maybe you're the most stern or rigid person, and you just try to fight those tears as hard as you can. I pray they come, because here's what I pray that happens. I pray that God causes those tears to cause you to fall on your knees and to sow them as seed in prayer. I pray that for you. You need that in this life. That when those tears come, there would be a reminder that you need God more than you ever thought you did. Last week, I met a woman who uh, had a conversation with, and, and she, uh, she has a, a limp, and she has a cane, and she's walking with this limp and a cane, and as we begin to talk, she talks about her disability. And she says, when I was 15 years old, I was shot by an AK-47 in a drive-by shooting, and the bullets just sliced up, sliced up my spine. And then I began to talk to her and ask her about her recovery, And as she began to talk about her recovery, you could hear her faith in God come out. And and it was so amazing hearing this excitement that welled up in her because you heard the grind of her dependence upon God in getting better when she said, the doctor said I was going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. 
The doctor said this would happen. The doctor said this would happen. But here I am, and I went and I worked out at the gym this morning with a personal trainer. And God is at work. And she expressed to me her dependence upon God. And she shared these words with me, which were so profound. She said, I'm glad it happened because it grew my relationship with the Lord. I'm glad it happened. If hardship brings us to a joy in the Lord, that hardship should be received with thanksgiving. And as we receive that hardship with thanksgiving, it should draw us to prayer and say, God, use it. Change me and use me through this. I'm really grateful uh, for this devotional study. Um, I hope if you don't have one of these studies, take it home and get started with us because this is a wonderful study. I'm telling you, this could be on Amazon.com. Uh, it is so well written. Um, and I would say Barnes and Nobles or some of the other bookstores, like where are those places? Um, anyway, um, th- this is a, a really phenomenal devotional study. And last week, uh, one of the members of our church Uh, who's been going through a really tough time, texted me. And she said, thank you for this devotional study. It's encouraged me to get back in the word after a long season of grief and being mad at God. In other words, it's changing those tears. And it's bringing about God's will in her life in spite of the tears, in spite of the pain. That, that that's what God would do. Habakkuk 3.17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Bible uses a lot of illustrations from the agrarian economies, agricultural economies. And it's something that people were very familiar with in that day. If the olive trees aren't bearing fruit, it means that you don't have food on the table. It means that you don't have a livelihood. If there's no, there's, there's no flock in the fold, no herd in the stalls, it means that your livelihood is gone. And it doesn't just mean for you personally, it's meaning that there's a whole suffering community as a result of it. But here, the writer Habakkuk says, yet, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God has given you something to sing about. These songs of renewals were songs that that the Israelites would sing on their way to Mount Zion as they took took part in these great pilgrimages, the Passover festival, and they entered into the gates of Jerusalem and they sang these songs of joy to the Lord. But you can imagine that these songs was a preparation for their heart in the midst of trouble. Maybe when they had to go, when there was no fruit on the vine, or there was no flock in the fields or in the stalls. 
but they remembered that God was the God of salvation, that he would bring about deliverance. And the great redemptive stories of Israel reminded them that God was not done with his people. And today, that might be something that you need to remember today when you just want to give up. God is not done with you. That salvation has come and salvation is sure and in spite of nothing you can give praise to him because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The third point is joy is restored through investing our tears. Joy is restored through investing our tears. You don't think about tears as currency, do you? Well, God does. In Psalm 55 says, he, does, he stores your tears up in a bottle. He counts every one of them. None of them go to waste. Like that's how much God loves your tears and says, bring them to me. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Again, we have this agricultural illustration. And the illustration is a farmer taking responsibility for everything that he could possibly do. The farmer has to get the seed and he's going out with a bucket. He's already tilled the soil. He's already worked hard in cultivating the land. And now the farmer is planting the crop. And he's just got a bucket of seed that he's taking all and he's planting all over. And then when that farmer comes in after a hard day or a hard month's worth of work and lays down on his bed and is absolutely exhausted and looks up at the ceiling, do you know what he does? He begs God for rain, begs God for rain because the farmer knows that no amount of his own ability will be able to produce the crop, but he needs the Lord to provide water for the rain, even if he provides it through his or her tears. God is using your tears for an investment of a harvest. He's using your tears. He's using your sorrows. It's one of the most important messages of the Bible. Don't waste your suffering. It's one of the most important messages of Scripture. Some will tell you that the Scriptures it, it means tell us that we're not to have suffering. Some will tell you that, there's, there, that because you're a Christian and because of what Christ has done, you should no longer suffer. And if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. I want to ask, what Bible are they reading? What scripture do they read to come to that conclusion? Because the Bible says nothing of it. It says that suffering is a part of the goodness of the Christian life because it teaches us how to go on this long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson calls it. It's a forward trudge of faith in every moment of your life. This suffering is something that catches your attention and refocuses, refocuses your life and heart and helps you walk faithful life, a life that finishes. There's a woman who's learned this lesson well, and her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata was paralyzed after a diving accident when she was 17 years old. She recently reflected on the 50th anniversary of that accident 
on how God has used it in her her life. Johnny writes, The process is difficult, but affliction isn't a killjoy. I don't think you could find a happier follower of Jesus than me. The more my paralysis helps me get entangled from my sin, the more joy bubbles up from within. I can't tell you how many nights I've lain in bed, unable to move, stiff with pain, and I've whispered near tears, Oh Jesus, I'm so happy, so very happy in you. God shares his joy on his terms only, and those terms call for us to suffer in some measure like his son. I'll gladly take it. Half a century of paralysis has also shown me how high the cosmic stakes really are. Whenever I fidget in my confinement, I can almost hear Satan taunt God as he did with Job. Look at her, see? She doesn't really trust you. Test her with more pain and you'll see her true colors. When the devil insists God's people only serve him when life is easy, I have the high honor of proving him wrong. To be on the battlefield where the mightiest forces in the universe converge in warfare, by God's grace, I'm all in. Wow. I mean, this woman sounds like a general going into battle and she's doing it from her wheelchair because she knows that in the cosmic struggle that God wins all the time and that he uses the weak things to shame the strong. He uses the foolish things of the world to show the wisdom of God. Johnny Erickson Tata is a testimony of the wisdom of God. Can you say, even in your tears, like Johnny says, by God's grace, I'm all in. Can you say that? Now, there's a good chance we can say it right now. Or maybe it's hard to say right now, and that's okay too. But it's the school of hard knocks that we learn how to say that. And it's the school of hard knocks that teaches us, don't waste that pain invest it. This imagery of the psalmist is one that's powerful. He is going out with his bucket weeping and he's coming in with shouts of joy, carrying sheaves like these acres of just seed that has been planted has now grown to fruition and he's carrying his sheaves with him, a bountiful harvest. That's the picture that God gives us is that God does not waste the investment of your tears, but he grows through that investment, a bountiful harvest. This is why as Christians, we must know that God uses our pain and our sorrow to show who he really is in this lost and broken world. In our tears, we proclaim our God reigns. Our God reigns. C.S. Lewis says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Perhaps in this deep season of worldwide suffering, 
Perhaps now is our time to shine. Perhaps in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, when people are saying that they are happy without God, we can say, I can't be happy unless he's in my life. Perhaps that's the message that God brings to the world. And perhaps God uses this renegade little church here in the middle of downtown Orlando to play just our little small part. Maybe God would use our weakness to show his strength. And this is the application for our time together. This is your big take home. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus in the already but not yet. Now, when I say already and not yet, I'm going to explain that for a minute. It's the living of between two worlds that we're in. Christ has already come and he has given us salvation, the inauguration of his kingdom in his coming. But we also know we're living between the world of Christ's second advent or his second coming, where he will bring that that, that kingdom to consummation or fulfillment. Debbie says this really well in our devotional this week. She says, through his death and resurrection, Jesus rescues us from captivity. In him, we are set free and experience joy in our salvation. Despite that, we ache for more. Like the Israelites of old, we experience a restoration from captivity, but also a longing for a future, more complete restoration. That already but not yet is there. And the answer to walking through that is keep trusting Jesus. I've got a friend, he's actually preached here before. He's a pastor in Australia. And anytime I talk to my friend Dave on the phone, he ends the conversation was like, hi, Mike, keep trusting Jesus. I, I don't know if that really did the Australian accent, uh, accent very well, but uh, Dave would probably call it an accident. Um, So, uh, but keep trusting Jesus. That's like the faithfulness of the Christian life every day. Keep trusting Jesus. When sin seeks to steal your heart and your passion and your affections from God, uh uh-uh, keep trusting Jesus. Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Fight for joy. Walk in the life of faith and know that God is with you in the midst of it. And I know the physical reality that some of you are trusting for God to restore your joy in right now. Because I know the stories of your life. Maybe you've struggled in this season related to your job or career or relationships or, or in, in the midst of death. Maybe you've struggled with finances or parenting or marriage or family. Maybe you feel isolated and alone right now. The message for you in the middle of the already but not yet is keep trusting Jesus. Sally Lloyd-Jones gives this wonderful summary of the book of Revelation in her Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have a copy of this, I'd recommend uh, you get a copy of this. It's one of the most wonderful books that you could read whether you you have children or not. Um, By the way, it says here it sold over 2 million copies and it probably has sold a lot, lot more than that. But Sally Lloyd-Jones, as she summarizes the book of Revelation, she uses John's descriptions. And she says, I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, coming down from heaven and from the sky heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful, 
Walls of topaz, jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that never lock shut. Where is the sun? Where is the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light people need. No more darkness, no more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all these things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. See, I've wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, Look, I'm making everything new. When we see the restored fortunes of Negev, it was like a desert. The lands of Negev was dry, crackled. If you walked through the lands of Negev, you would see where the water once stood, but it was there no longer. The psalmist prayed for a restoration of fortune. The psalmist was praying for revival. Because when the rains came down the mountains and made their way into the Negev, it was like a flood, a flash flood of water that overnight brought about life instantaneously. The grass grew, the flowers were there, and immediately signs of life emerged. And today, may that be our prayer. Lord, restore the fortunes of Negev. Bring revival. Bring revival to my heart. Bring revival to this lost world. Bring revival to my tears, my sorrows and my pain. That you, God, would be glorified above all else. Help me, Lord, keep trusting Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we, God, are walking, Father God, in your ways right now. Lord, you've brought us to yourself this morning that, God, as we've gathered among brothers and sisters here at Cross Point Downtown, Lord, you have gathered us for the purpose of your praise. God, even now we have walked through a dry and weary land, Lord, as we pray this prayer, restore our fortunes, O Lord. God, we ask that you would do it again. You would do the things that, God, enliven our soul towards you. You would do the things that enliven our city our communities towards you, God, those who are lost and hellbound without you, Lord, we pray that you would bring them life in Christ and life to its fullest. And that, God, not a moment of our life would be wasted, joy or sorrow, Lord. We would give ourselves completely and totally to you. It's in Christ's name the church prays. Amen. Give you a little instruction for communion. Um... If you'd like, uh, during this song, you can just go to the tables when you're ready to grab uh, one of the communion cups and wafers. And uh, we're not going to eat the wafer or drink the cup together, per se. We're going to do it around the same time. Uh, But uh, we're going to take communion remembering that God is about the business of restoring our hope, our joy. And how does he do it? 
He does it through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Restored joy comes through Christ. Let's worship.